from Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. Listen now for the word of God. Again, he began to teach beside the sea. Such a very large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat on the sea and sat there while the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. He began to teach them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Other seed fell into good soil and brought forth grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirty and sixty and a hundredfold. And he said, Let anyone with ears to hear listen. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let anyone with ears to hear, listen. Jesus says this many times throughout all the Gospels. But what does it mean? There's an exercise I sometimes do with couples who are preparing for marriage. And sometimes with couples who come in uh, wanting to talk about um, issues within their marriage. And I found myself using this exercise with my children as they were growing up, and I've sometimes imposed it on myself as well. It's a simple exercise on the face of it. One person speaks, the other person listens without speaking. When the speaker finishes speaking, the listener is not allowed to respond until he or she says back to the speaker, what he or she heard the speaker say to the speaker's satisfaction. It doesn't have to be a verbatim, word for word, repeat. In fact, it's better if it's not. It just needs to convince the person speaking to you that he or she has been heard. Easy, right? Not so much. I once had a couple come in and uh, the husband said, uh, it took me four times to get it right. Four times repeating back before she finally felt heard. Engaging in this exercise, especially when the conversation is difficult or there is conflict involved, quickly reveals what Jesus' simple proclamation makes clear. There is a difference that can be as wide as the sea between hearing and listening. Let anyone with ears to hear listen. James Martin, in in the book that's the basis for this series of sermons this summer, describes how Jesus may have had other reasons 
than simply the, the uh, size of the crowds for getting in that boat and pushing out away from the shoreline. He reminds us that sound carries over water quite easily in ways that it doesn't on land, so much so that you can hear sometimes very clearly conversations going on in normal tones all the way across a lake. Jesus is speaking then not only to be heard, but to be overheard as well. And so it's likely that everyone could hear him quite clearly, but not everyone could listen. And this is the point of the parable he tells. In the end, it's a parable about listening to the word of God, sown like seed from God's gracious hand. Jesus describes a scene that any person living in that region would have been quite familiar with, a sower goes out to sow. The method of planting seeds in that region, in that time, was to broadcast the seeds, as they said, to reach in to a bag strapped around the sower's neck and to toss the seeds in both directions with abandon, allowing them to fall wherever they might. Later, the sower will come back and plow over those areas where he broadcasts the seeds, plowing them down into the soil. But in that region of Galilee, there were no guarantees how that seed would fare as it was plowed down into the soil. At that point in the telling, James Martin suggests, Jesus looks around and sees a typical scene that you can see on many, many lakeshore areas around Galilee. One that Martin himself was looking upon as he stood at what is called the Bay of Parables, likely the exact spot where this event occurred. All around him, he saw soil. He saw thorny brambles growing in certain spots. He saw rocky outcroppings and some spread along the tops of the ground. He saw a pathway that he himself had taken to come from the area he was down to the lake shore, and he sees flying overhead birds. They are quite literally standing inside the parable at that moment, with Jesus pointing out what is all around. Some seed falls on the pathway just like the ones the crowds had followed to get down there to Jesus. And the birds snatch it away before it even takes root. For some, the word of God, the way of Christ in the world, never has a chance to penetrate a hard heart or a closed mind. Sometimes hardness of heart comes from a fear of change. Sometimes it comes from pride sometimes from stubbornness. But many move about the world encased as if in asphalt, a hard exterior through which no new thought can penetrate. I observed a Facebook exchange the other day. This 
This is where all of our political discourse has gone, by the way, to Facebook. And they were talking about a political topic in which one person accused the other of betraying his principles because of a position he was taking. You've always said this, and now you're saying that, he said. And his friend replied, I did used to say that, but now I've changed my mind. I've changed my position. Why? asked his increasingly incredulous friend, and he responded somewhat sarcastically, it felt like, because I've thought about it since then. And I've entertained the possibility that I might be wrong. I've entertained the possibility that I might be wrong. As their conversation continued, it became clear that for the offended friend, entertaining the possibility of being wrong was just not possible. Jesus is still sowing seeds, even among us today. And the life he calls us to is one that will often require change, humility, community for sure, a community where we bump up against other people who may not always agree with us. If we encase ourselves in concrete... Those seeds just bounce right off of us. They come to rest and they eventually become food for the birds. When I got ready to go to divinity school, some of the good people at the small church I was serving at the time in Waverly, Tennessee, said to me, now don't you go up there to Vanderbilt and let them change you. I thought about that. So I'm supposed to go to a school that's going to cost thousands of dollars, be exposed to the thought of thousands of years of Judaism and Christianity, theology and Bible and pastoral care, and etc., and come out of that completely unchanged. Walk through those hallways of learning with my mind already made up. Well, sometimes it happens that way. We walk through our schools or our workplaces, our marriages, our friendships, our faith, with our minds made up, never yielding. Let those with ears to hear listen. Some seed falls on rocky ground. The grain springs up quickly, but there's no depth of soil, so there's no way for the roots to penetrate beyond just the thinnest surface. And everything looks good at first to the naked eye. But that first sunny, hot day, it shrivels for lack of soil, for lack of depth. I'll never forget sitting in class in Divinity School and listening to Dr. Marianne Talbert lecture on this parable. She had just written a new book called Sowing the Gospel, and it was about the parables in Mark's gospel. And in it, she argues that this parable in Mark serves as a kind of table of contents for the rest of the gospel. We're supposed to be able to recognize 
all the different kinds of people Jesus is going to encounter and their responses to him, what kinds of soil they are from these four types. And she looked up from her notes and smiled and said, you know, for the rocky soil, you need look no further than the man Jesus named the rock, Simon Peter. Is there a better example, especially in Mark's gospel, of one who springs up quickly, who enthusiastically embraces the word, but then almost immediately shuts down any interpretation of that word other than his own? Peter is the one, the first one, to confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, only moments later to take Jesus aside and chastise him like a child when Jesus says the Messiah must suffer and die. On the night Jesus says someone will betray him, Peter says, I will die for you, only to have Jesus say to him, before this night is over, you will have denied me three times. Peter, you recall, refuses to have his feet washed by Jesus, saying, you will never wash my feet. And when Jesus tells him, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me, he says, then not my feet only, but my head and my hands as well. Peter, the rock, he springs up quickly. But on the night when the sun of torture and hate beat down upon Jesus' head, Peter withered and denied he ever knew him. When we find ourselves in the bright sunlight of trouble, sickness, conflict, death, despair, when we find ourselves faced with difficult moral choices that may force us to draw upon depths of soil far beneath the surface of things, We need more than the quick springing up of easy religion. We will need to plumb the depths of tradition, the deeps of the Bible, the fervency of prayer, the discipline of study. I've met my share of people who tell me that they prefer the old-time religion of their childhood who have a sentimental regard for the faith as they learned it long ago, and who have not sought out any kind of growth in faith, preferring a kind of the Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it approach. And I always go away from those encounters because often they're directed at me. I often go away from those encounters praying that it will be enough for them that that will be enough when the hot sun comes out. Let those with ears to hear listen. Now Jesus looks over at the brambles that grow on the hillsides overlooking the sea. Some seed falls upon thorns. And the thorns prove to be more than the grain can overcome, so it is choked. Jesus met many such people in his ministry, most prominently the rich young ruler who, when he asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life, 
ends up turning away and walking away with great sadness because among the things that Jesus said he must do was to sell all of his possessions and give them to the poor. And Mark says he went away sad because he had many possessions. I'm reminded of the interaction between Jesus and Mary and Martha. You remember from that story, it was told so well at our Vacation Bible School this past week. You remember Martha becomes upset with Mary, her sister, for sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him while she does all the work in the kitchen. And you remember Jesus' response to Martha. Martha, Martha, you are distracted by many things. Only one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen the greater part. What is that one thing? To listen. To listen to the word. To listen at Jesus' feet. And yet we can become distracted not only by wealth and all the things that come with it, but by our work, by our various pursuits, by our sheer busyness. When our calendars become too full for us to stop and listen for God and to one another, they are like weeds choking out our lives. We can also become distracted by more insidious things. Jealousy, petty grudges, hatreds large and small, all of them threatening to wrap themselves around our souls. As I look at this parable, it becomes clear to me, painfully clear, that it's too superficial a reading of this text to see these types of soil applying to individual people alone. I agree with James Martin that all of us contain all of these soils within our souls. All of us. There are aspects of my life where I wear armor so no word can get through. There are places in my heart and mind that lack depth sufficient to the scorching sun. There are distractions in my daily life, oh so many, that can leave my soul depleted and withered. And the real good news of this parable is that it is not really about us and what we do, but about what God is doing in us. Through the Spirit, God is the one who is tilling the soil and breaking up the hard ground and removing the rocks and clearing out the thorns so that we might be good soil, yielding grain in abundance. It is God's grace and God's grace alone that can make of our jumbled hearts good rich and verdant ground. This may not always feel like a pleasant experience because let's face it, we do become rather fond of the the stones and the thorns and the armor. 
But God desires for us so much more than that. God desires for us life abundant and free so that we may freely follow the one whose way is set before us. This parable is an invitation. I do not know how you came in here today, whether you feel like good soil, yielding grain, or whether you feel shriveled or choked, or a combination of all. What I do want you to know is that no matter how you came in here today, what is on offer in this place, in Christ, is grace, unearned, extravagant, and for all. Can you hear the invitation by the sea carrying across the waters? Can you hear it? Let those with ears to hear listen. Amen.